0: Hello everyone, welcome back to our podcast. It's good that you've chosen to spend some time listening to our discussion. Um, As always, we hope you enjoy it, and as always, feel free to contribute. Uh, You can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. My name's Cameron, and uh, we're going to be diving deep into the Proverbs again today.
1: G'day, Ken Stanton here.
2: This is Luke. I'm looking forward to uh, today's attempt to shoehorn the Sabbath School lesson into Proverbs. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Good. What's your what's your back like, Luke? Last week, week when we recorded, you had a sore back. Oh, it's still sore. Uh. <laughs> but not as bad as it was.
3: Well, I'm Lachlan, and I'm, in, I'm happy to be here.
0: The lesson uh, to, uh, th- this week uh, refers to uh, Christ's invitation uh, to those who are weary to come to him so that they can find rest. And we are going to find a passage... In Proverbs 30 that we think speaks to these themes. I might start reading and we're going to read the first nine verses. The sayings of Agur son of Jacob, an inspired utterance. This means utterance to Ithiel. I am weary God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One.
1: Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know.
2: Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will
3: rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God.
2: Hey, so, can we we please go down to
3: 14?
0: Yeah, read it for us. I certainly will.
2: Do not slander a servant to their master, or they will curse you, and you will pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers, and do not bless their mothers. Those who are pure in their own eyes, and yet are not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind.
1: (laughs) I know why you Mm. went there, Luke. Social (laughs) justice. (laughs) It's the social justice theme popping out again. Well, hey, I'm working
2: for Adra again now, so Very good. I uh, I have an obligation to drag this into every single conversation.
3: Well, launching into a chat about this passage, I have to admit I'm not sure that I've ever read it before. It it strikes well, you me you must as have not read the five passages... and six before. Well, I think I've heard them cited. Yes, every word of God is true, and do not add to His words. Those sentiments are, of course, also echoed in other parts of the Bible. But the whole passage that we've just read, taken as a passage, is, is very fresh to me.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, mm. me too. Likewise. I've not had a chance to do a large amount of research on it, uh, but I did look up trying to work out who this ager son of Jacka, is, and uh, no one's exactly sure.
2: I like I the idea that he was, he was nobody of importance, except he had one inspired utterance which is now included in, in one of the most widely published and read books of human existence.
3: <laughs> That's a cool thought, yeah.
0: One possibility is that Agur denotes is, is, a, is, a, is occupational in nature and it denotes the compiler, the one who, who put all the proverbs together. Ah, or who compiled Solomon's so so there's the the word Agar is similar to another word which means the compiler. So so whether or not there's truth in but that. But then it
2: says this man's utterance to to another individual, Ith- Ithiel. Well, that's a, that's a singular yeah. man.
3: Even that word utterance is interesting. So in the ESV, uh, it opens the words of Agar, son of Jachah, the oracle. Mm. And, and um, in, the, in my New American Standard Bible, it actually says something really interesting in a kind of margin note. Uh, it, you, it says the word oracle can also be interpreted the word burden. So if you, if you hear it, the inspired utterance is also this man's burden. And if you hear it in that mm. light, I think it, it mm. e- echoes yeah. the sentiment it that It certainly you,
2: reads yeah. as a burden, especially verses 1, 2, and, and 3 where where he he confronts his own weaknesses.
3: There is something there also fresh. We've talked before numerous times about the, the trap of, you know, we talked about the trap of pointing out the foolishness in someone else and then discovering that there's more hope for the fool than for those who, who think they're clever. Um,
0: and wise in their own yeah, eyes. Yeah,
3: yeah. There's, you know, this verse two here, surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom. There's an element here that's pretty low and echoing a kind of pretty negative state of mind and self-talk. But there's another element here, which is a, a humility, a recognition of, um, I'm I'm in a situation that I'm not actually very very adequately equipped to handle and I really do actually need help. And that's, that's something where... I think mm. we and and this is the one opportunity perhaps where the the imbalance, the non-diversity of our podcast discussion group here, uh, is is even relevant because I think it's something that men particularly struggle with in our society. Um, and and it's interesting to see it here on the page, written out in words, an acknowledgement of humility. I need help here. I really don't understand.
1: And, and it really is uh, interesting to see how he expresses. Uh, that humility, that lack of knowledge, that understanding that he doesn't know things. Because if you look at the sort of questions that he asks, they are the questions asked by a man, which reflect the questions that God asked of Job. Uh, So if you go to Job 26 and verse 8, you will see that uh, uh, one of the things that's said there uh, is that Job describes God as being the one who wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. So, and and here we've got, um, he's wrapped up the waters in his, who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak. And then if you go to verse uh, chapter 38, verses 8 and 9 of Job, um, and, uh, well, verse 4, 8 and 9 of chapter 38, this is where the Lord speaks to Job. And in verse 4, he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And eight and nine, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? Um, and, and here we see similar sorts of things. Who established the end of the earth? Uh, who gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? So he's expressing his ignorance using precisely the same questions that God asked Job in order to express his understanding, that is to express God's understanding in comparison to human understanding.
3: That's really fascinating, Ken. And my understanding is that um, many scholars consider Job to be a very early Mm. element, early writing in the Old Testament. And as such, it's plausible to assume it may predate Proverbs. And then if that's true, the point, the connection you've made... um, becomes a powerful part of trying to interpret what's going on here. The, the person expressing their humility is not just saying, I need help. They're, they're specifically saying, I need help from God.
0: Yeah. Mm. The, when we were look, discussing passages that we could discuss for this podcast, uh, Locke, I think Clancy put us onto Proverbs 3, mm. where it talks about uh, the benefits of wisdom and wisdom bringing rest and peace. This person doesn't have a sense of, of peace. Uh, so uh, presumably then they they have not yet engaged they have not yet found the wise, knowledgeable point of view, but they know they haven't found yeah. it. and that admitting admitting that is a is a position of strength, not weakness. Yeah, ooh. yeah,
3: well, they say it explicitly here in verse three, "I have not learned wisdom, nor I, nor have I knowledge of the holy one.
1: And, um, and indeed, ooh. it seems that if he was the compiler, he's actually taken the message of Proverbs on board um, and and given given us a little bit of a summary because if you go back to Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in verse 5. Um, In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Verse 7, and this comes out again in other places in Proverbs, do not be wise in your own eyes. Uh, Fear the Lord and shun evil. Well, it seems he's taken that on board. Yeah, yeah it seems to be a consistent
2: theme that's coming across in in multiple proverbs that we've looked at so far that one of the characteristics of wise people is that they do not consider themselves to be wise because i reckon the writer of this proverb is is pretty is pretty insightful um that that's my assessment of of them so i can make it because it's not i'm not making it of myself and they're not making it of themselves mm. Um, particularly if you look at verses seven through to nine, you know you you have to have a fair amount of insight into, into in, into yeah. both wealth and poverty to have to make that request of God.
3: Yeah,
0: we we might get onto those uh, soon, Luke. Just before we leave this this point, uh, it's, it's pleasing to know that the Bible doesn't just contain passages that tell us how things ought to be, but actually tells us how things are. For for many people at various times. So it is a true thing to say if you attain wisdom it will bring peace and many benefits. It's a it's it's not just true, it's a useful thing. It gives us something to strive for. Well, we all at various times though don't reach that standard and you know sometimes we don't know where we are unwise, which is the worst possible thing. But what this proverb is saying is just acknowledging the way things actually are is is a step forward and Generally, Christians spend a lot of time telling each other what the Christian faith and Christian experience ought to be like. Mm. And we don't spend very much time talking about what it is like. So, for instance, um, in testimony time in church, how many times has have you heard someone get up the front of church and say, Do you know, I'm, I'm generally discontent about lots of things. I know I ought to be thankful for the good life I have, but I don't feel it. I get stressed about lots of small things all the time. I prayed for God to help me on this, and I don't even know exactly what help would look like. And then sit oh, down. Hmm. You know, I think I think that description would possibly fit the Christian experience of many people. Or someone standing up and saying, "I've prayed for this for ten years and it hasn't happened." We 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 don't tend to uh, feature, at least not as much as the biblical writers did, honest accounts of the way things are. And <clears throat> just so that we don't miss it out because we did last week, I've got an Adrian Plass reference to back this up for the <laughs> listeners playing the binger, Adrian Plass in this instance has inadvertently volunteered for some street evangelism and he's terrified <laughs> by the prospect and he has to he has to do evangelism with Leonard Thin who did feature a few um, episodes ago Leonard Thin manages to get hold of the wrong end of the stick every time and Adrian Plass is really worried so Adrian Plass goes to a, a bookshop to find a um, a book on street evangelism and he finds one by a man called Lunchington And I'll read now excerpts from Adrian Placer's diary. I sat down with Lunchington's book this evening, hoping to pick up a few good tips. What an amazing book. I don't know how the man finds time to eat or sleep. His life is literally one long succession of extraordinary miracles. Everyone he meets and everything he does uh, could have come straight out of the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament seems like an early and rather poor rehearsal for Lunchington's life. The man doesn't know what it is to experience doubt or depression or or failure or discouragement. Everyone he meets seems to get converted, and absolutely nothing gets him down. And as for street evangelism, well, Lunchington has only to step out of his front door as far as I can see, and instantly a hitherto deserted stretch of pavement will be thronged by a huge crowd, all jostling and shoving, to get near enough to Lunchington to seek his help in making a commitment. Fell back in my chair exhausted at the end of the book, puzzled to find in the back of my mind a small but very definite desire had arisen to kick Lunchington very hard, just between miracles, (laughs) (laughs) dismissed this unworthy impulse as another ploy of the enemy and dialed Leonard's number. I said, hello Leonard, I just wanted to tell you that I've been reading a really great book about witnessing, and I think we ought to do what this man does and step out in faith on Friday night, dressed in our spiritual armour and know that the victory is won before we begin. Thin said, oh I agree, but can we pop into the George and have a jar or two on the way just for a bit of Dutch (laughs) courage-like? When I write my spiritual autobiography, Thin will not be in it, except perhaps in a smartened up form. Instead of suggesting a jar or two, he will say, "Amen, brother, Hallelujah." <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: it is, it is so true. And, and um, you know, I think that you're pulling us right back, Cam, there to verse one. Uh, the man declares, "I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out." That's that's his declaration.
1: You know, there's another really important part of what you're saying too, Cam, and it comes out in verse 6. And it, and it says, do not add to his words. Uh, don't make up those stories. Uh, hmm. He doesn't need hmm. those stories to be made up for him. He doesn't need some sort of uh, multi-level marketing, motivational uh, uh, story to be given on his behalf.
0: It doesn't need a slogan that where every word begins with the same yeah. letter.
1: <laughs> For which you could no doubt produce another Adrian Plas reference, Cameron. Um. <laughs> you
2: know what? Verse verse six really, really hits me quite hard, because isn't that just as as Christians, as an organised church, isn't that like ninety ninety five percent of what we do? <laughs> Is I mean I mean forgive me Cam because I, I know we all love them but isn't that also kind of what Adrian Place's book is?
3: Yeah, so this <laughs> is the verse: Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm. I mean I feel like churches do little else. No, but, but
3: so one reading of this is to do what many Christians and even you know many Adventists have historically held this view: uh, one one should certainly not read any fiction and probably not read anything except the Bible. You know, it is possible to find yourself reading a verse like this and and arguing yourself into that sort of a corner, which I don't personally agree with even I was going to say, look,
2: it might be possible for some people to do that. I'm (laughs) fairly certain my brain is literally incapable of coming to that interpretation of that. Of of course.
1: That's not what it says. One of the other difficulties with uh, that is that you assume that the Bible contains no fiction. Oh, yeah
0: preferentially used fiction mm. to, to explain what he was His doing main teaching and, method. and he he did not preface it with a clear disclaimer at the start by saying by the way I'm about to tell you a story that didn't actually happen but if you sort of stick around you know he just says well there once was a man who went from mm. you know Jerusalem to Jericho and um, he relied on people recognizing the narrative form presumably mm. to identify it as a fiction or maybe whether it's fiction or not doesn't matter maybe that's the the least important part. On on this subject, Luke, you'll be pleased to know that my wife was talking with someone from church who um, uh, my wife recently did a sermon on Ruth. Mm. And it was well-received. And the lady said, I really enjoyed it. And tell your husband too. I really enjoyed his sermon. And I've got a recording of it. And I've been listening to it ever since where he read out Leaf by Niggle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: that the sermon... The sermon was the reading, and that's definitely fiction. And this lady especially wanted to pass on thanks for that sermon. And she said she listens to it often. So so when we add to God's Word, we, God's Word is presumably an ongoing process. And it is possible for contemporary authors, and indeed let's hope ourselves to be inspired at times with, with some new aspect of God's Word in our own life. So I think that gives us a mandate to do some talking about additional things that are not in the Bible.
2: Well, I think, Cam, um, you you, ra- you raise a very good point um, obliquely that, um, you know, I've made the assumption in an interpretation of this verse that God's word refers to the Bible. But of course, this utterance of uh, yeah. this man was written a long time before the Bible in its present form yeah. was even conceived. Um, God's yeah. word is probably not means. There probably wasn't meant to mean that, by the author of these verses. And certainly we can understand God's word to mean a much broader thing than the Bible. That's a phrase that we very commonly use and how language leads us into all sorts of traps of thinking.
0: Luke, I think that there is a sense in which we as a church seek to add to God's word, where we seek, for instance, to emphasise the significance of those passages that set us apart as a denomination because it makes us feel special. Hmm. That may not be adding words, but it's adding emphasis. Yeah, um, and I think I think that it's so it's such a hard trap to avoid. But I, I think that it's a dangerous trap to fall into. The, the
2: verse just says, and we're we getting into analyzing a translation in the detail of the text, which is always a silly thing to do. But anyway, um, it just says, "Do not add to his words." It doesn't say, "Do not add words to his words." Maybe, maybe what it actually means is, "Do not add emphasis to his words." <laughs> Coming back to what you raised about the interpretation, you know, the sort of traditional interpretation of this verse, when I read it, what it reminds me, reminds me of two things which we've actually touched on recently. One is the bit in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, do not do not swear by God or your mother's whatever or your father's grave or what have you. Let your yes be yes and your no be no and, and leave it at that. So basically, be honest and straightforward. Um, don't swear by things that you don't control because you mm. don't control them. Mm. That that This verse reminds me of that one. And the other thing it reminds me of quite a lot is the commandment, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Hmm which yeah. know, I feel like there's a similar message going on here.
3: Yeah. Now, I mean, there's two things. There's two things just quickly. So the first is we've been focused on verse six, but verse five mentions every word of God proves true. And actually verse four lists is this list of questions. Who has gathered the winds in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? I think that this, admonition in verse 6 do not add to God's words is actually connected to the same sense of humility. It's to me I hear it saying don't pretend to know more than you know lest you be found out to be a liar, right? That's what it's saying. Mm. So so make sure just just admit. Just admit when something is beyond is beyond certainty. Yeah. Mm.
1: I think that's a fantastic reading of it. Well, I know I've referred to it previously in our podcast, but it has to be repeated again. Eugene Peterson, in his book Christ Plays in Ten Thousand Places, has this line in it, and I have it up in my garage uh, so that I can remember it. It says, We inhabit a mystery. We ought not pretend to know too much. Yeah. It's a fantastic. Yeah. And
3: and this is why this is why I feel so passionate about um the need for Christian communities to switch their vocabulary away from statements which lock you into a particular state and instead replace it with questions which launch you on new mm. quests.
2: Well that's what this guy's done. Yeah. It's very much it's very much the the lesson
0: of this yeah. proverb so it'd be nice to have 28 questions instead of 28 fundamentals. exactly
3: i've actually started drafting such at various times in the past specifically to try and play with how this works the problem is you don't actually need 28 um yeah. you can you can cohere a really it's good community a, around too many. <laughs> you can you can build a great community a coherent community around far fewer questions than that and the beautiful thing about joining over a question is you're automatically in dialogue and conversation and you don't have to always have all the same answers. The reason we come together is because we share a sense of quest on this, on this journey in this question, yeah. not because we're all arrived at the same answer.
2: And bring, bring it, bring it back to the, the early verses of, of this chapter of Proverbs. The wonderful thing about questions is that they have genuine questions is that they have humility built in.
1: Hmm. And you, you, look, can I give an example of, of, My thinking this week. Uh, I've reflected often on why is it that we think that there must be some life after our physical body dies. Um, I'm confronted with it regularly in Tasmania because we have a very high um, uh, amount of roadkill. So you'll often drive and you'll see a freshly killed wallaby with the... uh, you know, the blood pouring out of its mouth and dribbling down the road. Um, and, and, and you think, well, look, you know, the way that that biological entity was sustained has been brought to an end. Um, and in precisely the same way, uh, at some point in time, hopefully not, as roadkill, but uh, you know, in 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 a similar way, my biological functions will cease.
0: I don't want to take us into passages that are too dark, but why, hopefully, not roadkill? Is there is there an alternative, preferable alternative? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, well, I don't know. Um, perhaps i i don't think there's any preferable alternative really uh you're quite right so yeah. so it's a good good point that you make cam but you sidetrack me <laughs> which <laughs> happens regularly in our conversations i confess <laughs> but um uh yeah so why is it and, and that that wallaby will eventually be eaten by worms and uh so will i um uh and and why is it that i should think there is anything more to my existence than there is to that wallaby Now I accept there's a consciousness and I accept that once you take on board all of the um, uh, you know all, all of the belief structures of Christianity then clearly there is something more to the human existence but but fundamentally when you just take all of your assumptions out and just have a look at those two events and say well, why should it be any different? Uh, sometimes we, we, we treat people who have a different view, a materialistic view of the world, uh, as being somehow defective or deficient or stupid. Uh, and, and I think when you honestly put aside all of the assumptions that you make about life and have a look at something from a different perspective, you can only come and say, well, hmm. that's not a, an unreasonable way of approaching the world. And, and so then why is it that I should hold to this belief that there is something mm. more for me than there is for that wallaby?
2: You know what, my thoughts on it, and I think this is, this is um, appropriate to the topic today because it is fundamentally about a question. My, my answer to that, Kenny, this sense that there's something more mm. is the root of faith and of Christian faith and 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 it comes for me anyway from a a wonder at our existence that we mm. should why is there why is there something instead of nothing why is there something instead of nothing and why is that something capable of asking the question why is there something instead of nothing how is it that we can comprehend our own existence that is such a a, a fascinating
0: Awe-inspiring mystery. What, what you're saying, Luke, is, um, uh, following from Ken's comment, we sometimes say oh, our faith makes perfect sense and the materialists are stupid because they don't see the world as we do. Uh, a better A better statement would be, uh, ultimately, there isn't a rational explanation for any of this. Mm. I- indeed, Ken. We find ourselves in the middle of it. And yes. If, if, if you be religious or naturalistic, or uh, atheistic, or agnostic, or of any persuasion, uh, and you believe that you have rationally explained everything. Mm. And this is something I have to say to my science students a lot. Um, We're talking about magnetic flux, and magnetic flux is a weird idea. And I said to them all, they said, well, what is flux? What's the flux line? I said, well, there's no such thing as flux. (laughs) It's just just an idea that helps you attach meaning to it. And when you and it helps you construct algebraic formulas around it. And if you assume there's this thing called flux, and it's sort of like, it's sort of like you're counting the magnetic field lines, but there's no actual lines. It, it, so sounds, it's it sounds quite a space. lot
2: like, um, like a useful imaginary friend. It's not real, but it's very useful.
0: Well, it lets you hang on to it, all the maths equations, and then the maths equations predict how the universe works. So that the fact that you now have a scientific theory that has predictive power, you have not explained why it happens. Mm. there's a mystery about this the mystery is that certain materials under certain circumstances just leap towards each other mm. Mm. and it happens in a predictable way that we can study but it's it is still mysterious See. and and at the bottom of all science is a statement if you are if you keep asking why at the very bottom is a statement that says well we've noticed that the universe consistently runs this way
3: mm.
2: See, this This is where we get into territory, which makes me go, well, there's so much that religion and science have in common that yeah. if I could take one misconception from the world and, and just remove it from everybody simultaneously and permanently, it would be this idea that faith and science are somehow diametrically and inextricably opposed to each other. They're fundamentally incompatible concepts and approaches because yeah. they're not, and they never have been.
3: I, I have an interesting yeah. spanner to throw in the works here. Um totally. I happen to agree with everything that you've said, and that's the trouble. We tend to agree too much on this podcast. So here I'm gonna disagree mm. on behalf of I, other I people. I
2: don't agree with you there, like. <laughs> Yeah, no, I well I don't agree with you, Cam, so Is uh, that okay. enough disagreement? Can we stop yeah. there?
3: <laughs> no, 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 I think I think we need to consider this. Um the memory text in jesus's words in matthew uh, from the lesson guide this week come to me all you who are labor and heavy laden and i will give you rest and the the opening passage here in proverbs 30 the man declares i am weary o oh god i'm weary and i'm worn out huge resonance there but why why do people get that weariness that why are people heavily laden i myself find the the over repetition of unquestioned um, inherited beliefs, to be wearisome, it's, it, to, to get rest and relief from that. I, I go and ask questions. I, I go and seek um, a range of opinions. That, that is the way my brain is made up. But when I look around the world, when, when I look around my church, I see there are people for whom the questions and the uncertainty is burdensome. And the existence of clear, solid answers is the relief is the rest that they're seeking now i'm commenting on this as an observation yeah. and i don't know what the resolution is here i think that to some extent these two different kinds of people in the context of faith communities are, are pretty incompatible and are going to need to just find ways to focus on being friendly anyway yeah.
0: they're not always they're not always as incompatible as it sounds like there's one uh, lady i know who Who probably has pretty firm views? I've never asked about homosexuality. Um, A fairly orthodox Christian, um, traditional Adventist, um, who who would claim that that is uh, homosexuality is a fairly clear-cut issue. If you were to ask them, this person has a niece who's a lesbian, and who, following the, uh, this person almost certainly would have voted against the gay marriage bill. Hmm. Uh, but has a niece who was uh, a lesbian and a lifelong partner, and very excitedly showed me wedding pictures of their wedding. Right. Isn't it so lovely? They've been living together for so long, and now they can get married and they can formalize a commitment, and they've promised to stay true to each other, and, you know, and was able to laugh and say um, how, how this niece of theirs was always a bit unusual. And it's nice to see her happy and just to genuinely feel this person's joy for them. Mm. So it, you know, maybe some of the people who don't find it as easy to articulate uncertainties when pushed come to shoves might be better than all of us at at living them in practical ways. Like it it can it can be quite a complicated issue and it's it's hard to it's hard to put people in boxes. She's right. like a um, very wide soul I think of... it's a good point.
3: No, I think that's really interesting. That that in my mind has jumped us on to Um, jump my mind on to verse
0: seven to nine. Sorry, Lot. Um, I, I've got two thoughts which are not relevant, but they were relevant once and they're too good not to say. (laughs) So before we jump on to verses seven to nine, can I throw them in? One of them is that early on in the podcast, you said that you were using the new American standard version. Hmm. If we're going to be pursuing questions, and if, as Luke, you pointed out, that we're trying to get down into the nitty-gritty of words that have multiple meanings, and we've, we've looked at some of that, even in the names of these people that have different associations and all the rest of it, there are sometimes some words that could be translated in multiple ways. Why has no one published the New American unstandard version, yeah. the New American unusual version, <laughs> where, where, at, where at every opportunity, the unusual interpretation of the word has been chosen? So that... So that you can read it when you're wanting to find out what the alternate sort of um, connotations are. Uh, yes.
3: <laughs> I think there's a marketing I, opportunity there. You're right.
1: I think, Kev, you should uh, set about creating that version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I don't I don't know enough. Uh, the other the other quote I had was an importance of being earnest quote. Uh, at one point, uh, Lady Bracknell, which is... Point. We've got to add it because it featured last week. It's from the same section of the play where, where she's interviewing Ernest because Ernest wants to marry her daughter. And she says to him, um, uh, Mr. Worthing, I've always been of the opinion that a man who wants to get married should know everything or nothing. This this speaks to our comments on humility. Um, and uh, which do you know? And Mr. Worthing says, oh, I know nothing, Lady Bracknell. She says, I'm pleased to hear it. Uh, I do not approve of anything that tampers with natural ignorance. <laughs> ignorance is like a delicate, exotic fruit; touch it, and the bloom is gone. The whole theory of modern education is radically unsound. Fortunately, in England, at any rate, education produces no effect whatsoever. <laughs> 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 oh uh, my goodness! Well,
2: <laughs> look. Speaking speaking of old uh, thoughts that are too good to just let sit, I wanted I wanted to put our understanding of six, particularly the one you mentioned, about essentially six being a way of saying, look, what is true comes from God. Don't say things which are not true because you will be found out and and embarrassed, right? Um, True things come come from God. I want to put that in the context of verses, verse four, because verse four has a lot of elements of nature in talking Mm. about about the power of God. It's talking about the heavens, it's talking about the winds, the waters, the ends of the earth. Mm. It's, and then it comes out with this statement, do not, do not add to his words. Um, and I just find it really interesting, the possible connection of these things. Again, I'm coming back to the similarities between science and religion. Um, it's almost putting them in the context of an understanding of the world. And the the idea of the w- observable nature being part of the word of God yeah, and, yeah. and taking the truths <laughs> that you observe from that and not adding to them, being very humble about what you know and what you don't know mm. in what mm. you've no, observed from
3: nature. No, that's really good. And in the spirit of, of jumping in with things that are too good, not to say i have had a couple of thoughts but i don't have time turn to them. Next, but i know Ken. i no 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 i just wanted to comment there are listeners who also have great thoughts and sometimes those thoughts are too good not to share so f- please feel free yes. to write an email to SabbathSchoolFromHome yeah. school from home at gmail.com we we love we love receiving thoughts and comments you don't have to sit there and worry that you are you are too stupid and that you have not the understanding or that you have not learned wisdom you don't have to worry about any of those things feel free to write the email we love we love hearing the different ideas, and I know that at least two times so far, while listening to this podcast, my wife has shouted into an empty room. Uh, I, I am anticipating this. Uh, obviously, she hasn't heard it yet at the point of recording, but but she will be shouting various ideas when it comes to um, preaching sermons and and biblical adding to the Bible mm. and various things like that. There there are great ideas that she has, and I hope she writes an email, and then we can talk about them legitimately next week. <laughs> yeah. So so there's a couple of things that, that I won't say, but perhaps pulling us towards a conclusion, just looking at the time, mm. I want to pick up what you said, Cam, about that anecdote. A, a person who found the most fruitful, valuable, productive, the most Christian thing to do was to be a loving aunt, was it?
0: Mm.
3: And that ended up being more important than being an ardent such-and-such or an adamant other thing. And that makes me think of a sort of middleness, which is exactly what is expressed here in Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. You know, I don't want Mm. to be so rich that I'm satisfied and full and I deny God, but I don't want to be so poor that I'm tempted into um, theft and and thus profane the name of God. There's a there's an aspiration to the middle there, and it's not the same kind of middle. But I, I like the the connection of the theme and the idea that that what I what I threw up as a as an a recognition of sometimes two different perspectives that see rest and the burden of questions or of certainty being really really different. Perhaps perhaps. What we need to do is be humble enough to be to be praying to God that we we can recognise the dangers of both extremes.
2: Look, I uh, I must warn you not to get onto the topic of the virtues of. the the middle ground and compromise and the middle path it's one of my pet bugbears is this modern and very widespread misconception that anybody who advocates a position of compromise or middle ground or middle road or somewhere between two polar opposites somehow lacks conviction (laughs) Um, i that i despise that
0: yeah that's wrong The author here is very convicted. He has clear reasons Mm -hmm. and he articulates them very succinctly. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in it. He says, I don't want this because of this and I don't want this because of this. It's clear to me that the sort of life that I think will lead me to the best frame of mind the best likelihood of, of living a good life are these conditions so please God give me these conditions he's he's not lacking condition conviction at all no he's
2: very he's very clear about it once but Lachlan um, uh, this this may be a really good idea to end on this ties really nicely into your story about this lady and her, her niece can yes yes I know I know we always leave the end for you Ken. you can go after this one <laughs> Um and but, but also look really nicely into your idea of finding this sort of middle ground and cho- choosing a path that is, is not about taking sides. And that's actually to look at the very last verse of oh, Proverbs good, 30. I'm taking us way outside the bit we read. I'm going off the script.
0: Uh, last two verses, please. Luke. Yes,
2: the last two verses we certainly can. If you play the fool and exalt yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning cream produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Yeah. And it strikes me a lot that what this lady in Cam's Cam's anecdote has done is to take a path which avoids stirring up anger. And I've also found this to be true in my life, Mm. that um, prioritizing avoiding an angry expression, either in myself or in other people, is a very very good heuristic a very good guideline for navigating tricky relationships and tricky interactions you put avoiding anger at least the expression of anger you know what you feel inside may be harder to control Mm. you put avoiding anger as your number one priority you put it above being right you put it above proving a point you put it above sharing certain pieces of information you put it above getting your own way and things work out well
0: and and luke on the social justice thing we didn't get time to discuss it but there's a between the verses we read and those closing verses there are many statements in there about g- good treatment of other people mm. all
2: right over to you ken
1: <laughs> well it just seemed to me that there was a passage that encapsulated a lot of the things that we've um looked at that the the, the, the start, uh, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Um, uh, some of the middle where we discussed uh, the need for humility, uh, mystery, uh, the ability to live with a, a, a lack of uh, knowledge. Um, uh, and uh, the passage that we didn't really get to talk about, uh, Proverbs 7 to 9, uh, don't give me poverty or riches, but give me only my daily bread. Um, uh, and indeed, um, uh, seeking uh, a ground that avoids anger and conflict and you might not be surprised to think that there was a another wise man involved in the proverbs but known as the preacher in ecclesiastes chapter 3 and ecclesiastes chapter 3 10 to 15 says this i have seen the burden god has laid on men he has made everything beautiful in its time I pause there to interpolate, how is that the burden? Um, uh, Perhaps it's referring to verse 9, which says, what does the worker gain from his toil? But um, anyway, he's made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink, and find satisfaction in all his toil, this is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men
0: will revere him.
3: Hmm. Hmm. That's beautiful.
0: Well, thank you very much uh, for listening to our discussion. We're going to have to leave it there uh, for the sake of um, finding some place to leave it um, and and to make sure that we can edit this in a timely fashion um we hope that you enjoy our podcast please feel free to share it with any friends or or indeed any enemies that you have and uh, anyone you feel would benefit from it and, and please send us your thoughts as we've asked and join us next week for our next discussion